Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. It's awesome to be with you this morning and I'm very honoured and very privileged to be here at Mounties and uh, it's just great to see the people of God in unity just enjoying their time in the presence of God and that worship was beautiful this morning. I want to open with John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I want to say this this morning, and it's not a very comfortable thing, but that God is a God of interruption. And when God says, I'm sending you, he also means he's interrupting you. Abram was interrupted. Elisha was interrupted. Jeremiah was interrupted. Jesus and the disciples at the death of John the Baptist went off to have some rest and to recover and they were interrupted by a crowd of thousands. I love the passage in Isaiah 6 where the very worship of heaven by the seraphim is interrupted by Isaiah's redemption and call. Even heaven gets interrupted for the purpose of sending people. We don't like interruption. It disturbs our ordered ways. Yet the call of God in very nature is an interruption. Salvation itself is an interruption from our life of sin. And praise God, we were interrupted from that life of sin. The soul must become Paul. And for Saul to become Paul, there must be interruption. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And today, your creator wants to interrupt you and call you to the good work he has prepared for you. My story is one of massive interruption I was at university and I had a purpose, I had a plan, I was going to be a teacher, I was going to be a male role model in schools and there weren't enough male role models in, in primary school and I was determined that that I was, I was going to do and I was at uni and, and people were talking to me, Chris, I think you should be involved in mission. I said, no, I've got my plan. And uh, you know, they told me over and again, Chris, you should be in mission. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to be a teacher, I've got it all sorted out. And uh, I remember uh, going home one day and I was having my quiet time and I was just worshipping the Lord on my own. You know, I don't sing that great, so fortunately I was on my own. God was listening. He was loving it. And uh, he just expressed to me in that moment, Chris, I want you to be a missionary. God, is that you? <laughs> I've heard that from others, but I wasn't expecting that from you because I thought you already had the plan worked out in my heart. You see, I wasn't willing at that point to be interrupted. I was at uni. I wanted to finish my degree. I wanted to have it all together, yet God had a bigger plan. He didn't plan for David to be a shepherd. Come on, he planned for David to be a king, a general, and a slayer of giants. But David had to be interrupted from the sheepfold to become a king. And God wants us to be interrupted today. I had to finish at uni. I didn't finish my degree. That's major interruption. But there was a major plan. 
You heard some of the nations I've been to. By God's grace, I've been able to speak in front of presidents to whole nations about the glory and kingdom of God. And I thank him for his plan and his purpose. And it was all for his glory. And I have been interrupted time and time and time again. And I thank God for those interruptions because they're all a part of his plan. In John 20, 21 that we read before, Jesus sends the disciples out. David Bosch says it's like this. Mission was understood as being derived from the very nature of God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit sending the church into the world, a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument for that mission. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. In the book Sentness, the following is stated. There are two competing mindsets for the people of God today. A church of consumers demanding goods and services and a church of missionaries sent and sending. The biggest problem for the church today is not the political climate nor the ideological dogma being forced down our throats. It is not Islam or Hinduism. It is not even the COVID and the global conspiracy stories that we read about every day. This is not the problem for the church today. The greatest threat to the church is that we have bought deeply into the consumer church. It's like pastors have become vendors selling Christianity and many have bought into it. Once we are dissatisfied with the product, we move on to another church and consume again. We blame the devil for the lackluster church and the consumer mentality, but we are the propagators of the virus. We blame the devil, we blame others, but we need to look at our own heart. Have we answered the call of God? Have we answered the call to be sent, to be interrupted, to be willing to have our lives disrupted by an interrupting God? We need a fundamental shift in our understanding of God and his heart for the church. The church is not this building. We heard that already this morning. You are the church. You are God's nuclear weapon of mass destruction against the gates of hell. But it won't happen in this building the gates of hell are a defensive mechanism. You are the offensive weapon. God doesn't give this physical building legs so it can get up and move out into the community. You are the legs, you are the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece of God, and you are the representation of our Saviour to this lost and dying world. The life and words of Jesus are full of this imagery. He was sent into this world to save us and lead us to our creator, that we might also be sent into the world. Let's listen to Jesus. Luke 15, 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There is a lost and hurting world out there. And Jesus is asking us, are we willing to leave the church? Now, I'm not talking about getting up right now and leaving the church. That's not my message today. But, you know, we need to understand that this church is our farmhouse. You know, it's our place of supply and provision and care and comfort. But there is a world out there which is lost. And this may cut a little, but there is more praise and rejoicing in heaven over someone being found out there than all of us in here praising God. And we need to understand that, that the call of God, yes, is for us to worship him, but the rejoicing in heaven is greatest when a lost one is found out there. You know this, it works in your own life. You can have money in your pocket all day, but when you lose money and you find it again, there's much more rejoicing than over the money that was in your pocket already. And it's the same principle in God's kingdom. Money is our medium of expenditure here on earth, but souls is the currency of heaven. And when one is lost and is found, there is such great rejoicing in heaven. If you saw someone drowning, would you just leave them there? Surely you would try and help. If you could swim, you might swim. If you could call, you might call. If you could throw something, you would throw something. You would do something. And God saw every one of us in this building drowning, saw a world drowning and sent his son to rescue us. But instead of rescuing the beaten man by the side of the road, we've made up a thousand excuses to walk by on the other side. We're too busy. Our lives are full. We're tired. We have too much work. That's not even our ministry. Yet we have so much time for this world. Time to consume, whether it be social media, Netflix, or other stuff I won't even talk about because there's children in this room, but you know what I'm talking about. We have found a way to ignore our neighbour. God has not called us to consume, but to be sent. It is God who is a consuming fire. In Luke 12, 48 to 49, Jesus is speaking and he says, From everyone who has been given much, and we have been given much in this Western world, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. To bring fire. Fire does two things. It destroys the temporary and it refines the durable. Often our lives are devoted to the temporary. These things which the fire erases. But the fire will make that which is of worth in you and me, our identity, our soul, our call, our purpose in God endure forever. We cry out for the fire of Pentecost. But are we ready for the temporary to be burnt up in our lives by that fire? Maybe the fire isn't falling because we love the temporary so much. Are we ready to be interrupted? This world and the lost are at stake. Our very purpose is to be a burning light to reveal Christ to this world with his presence. 
Ephesians 17, sorry, Ephesians 1, 17 to 23. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And we go, yes, that's right, amen. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, yes, we want that power. That power is the same as his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This is you, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Not this building, which is not even full this morning, but to fill this world with Christ. When I was in India, I remember preaching and everything was being run by a generator and they had two generators, one to run the lights and one to run the sound. And all day, people had been charging their mobile phones on the generator for the lights. And I got up to preach to a crowd. There was maybe two, 3,000 people there. And as I started preaching, I watched the lights go off from the back to the front. And I stood in darkness. I could not read my notes. I could not see the crowd. And I thought, what am I going to do? And then some guy comes up with his mobile phone and he puts the light on so that I can read my notes. And you know what happened in that moment? Thousands and thousands and thousands of bugs came to that light. They were crawling down my back. They were in front of my face. I could not see anything because all the bugs that had been attracted to those lights out there suddenly came to my light. I didn't know whether it was worse without the light or with the light. But what I want to say is this, that when we shine in a bright place, the world is not drawn to us. Come on, the world is like those bugs. They're evil, they're nasty, and they feel really weird. But the world needs salvation. But when you shine your light in a dark place, come on, when you shine your light out there, not in a lit place, but when you shine it out there, it draws people. Just like those bugs were drawn to that light. They want light. They want hope. And you are that light to fill this world with Christ. You know, Jonah's this interesting guy. We kind of laugh at Jonah. But, you know, there's actually a lot in common with Jonah and us. And I want to go to Jonah um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Do you think God is disgusted with what's going on in our country at the moment? The laws that are being passed in our country. The unrighteousness in our country. God is calling us to shine our light in this nation, to be the light of Christ. And we think about Jonah, yeah, well, he just missed it totally. 
But are we understanding the imagery of this story? Let's go to the end of the book. Come on, we know the story about the whale or the, the big fish. We heard all about this. But let's look at the end of the story where Jonah is throwing the toys out of the cot. Jonah 4 verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I love that, and also many animals. Jonah was a consumer. When he didn't get what he wanted, he spat the dummy. When the plant died, he spat the dummy. He did nothing to grow that plant, but he wanted that plant because it covered and shaded him. And he was so mad that that plant disappeared that he wished he was dead. And God's heart is on show here. Jonah is angry about this plant, something consumed in a night. Come on. Most of what we do could be consumed in minutes, seconds. He cares nothing about the city of Nineveh. He cares about what matters to him, the plant. He cares so much about the plant that he wishes he was dead. But there's a city, a great city of that time, and he thinks nothing of it. God is angry with Jonah, and so in our self-righteous attitudes are we. But how do you think God feels about his church not caring about this city? This nation, this world going to hell. And we're more concerned about our social media feed than this world going to hell. And you might think, oh, Chris, you don't know what you're talking about. I do. God sees what we do when we're alone. God sees what we do when we have time to do nothing but whatever we want. Maybe God needs to send a big fish. Matthew 21, 28 to 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors... And the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. I want to say this, that knowledge is not the hallmark of a mature Christian. Obedience is the hallmark of a mature Christian, of a disciple of Christ. We look at people who know a lot about the Bible and we go, wow, what a Christian. We look at people maybe who operate in powerful giftings and we go, what a Christian. But God does not look at their outer things. We read that about David. God looks at the heart. Before David was called to be a king, he was a worshiper. He was a man of faith. And God called David because he was obedient, not because he had great knowledge. Obedience is the hallmark in God's kingdom. 
of a mature disciple of Christ. Which son will you be? Will you change your plan? Come on, the first son said, I won't go, I've got a plan. Reminds me of myself at university. Are you willing to be interrupted? Are you willing for your plan to be interrupted? Are you willing to obey the call of the Father? Which son will you be? Or are we here hearing but not doing? James 1, 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The devil knows, he believes, but he doesn't obey. Have you ever been on your social media feed? Yeah, I, I look at my social media feed and, and you're there and you're looking and five minutes, or if we're really honest, maybe 30 minutes later, you forget what you actually went on there to look for. Come on, who's done that? There's about five honest people in this place. We go there looking for something and we get distracted and we forget what we were looking for. And this is what the enemy wants to do to the church of God that we get so distracted that we forget the call of God. We forget what we're supposed to be here for and we go, what am I doing? I don't even remember because we're so distracted. John 17, 15 to 19. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now sanctify is this kind of big word. Maybe in the Baptist church you understand big words. These are my glasses. They have many purposes. You know, I can... Chew on them. Sometimes I can scratch my head. And you know, in, in, a, in a mission culture, there's not often a teaspoon around to stir your coffee. So, you know, they even do a double act to stir your coffee. But their sanctified purpose is to help me see. And we have so many different things we can do with our life. But Jesus is saying here that his sanctified purpose, come on, was to be sent. And our sanctified purpose is also to be sent. And that's powerful when you really see what your purpose is. That as you are sent, that is our sanctified purpose. We're not here to scratch our head, to chew and to stir our coffee. We're here to see this lost and hurting world and make a difference. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, very famous passage, read so many times that it's almost become meaningless to us. But let's go there again. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This means as you go, all the time as you go. Romans 12.1 says what? We are to bring our lives as a daily living sacrifice. My friend Marcus Torres recently wrote the following. Bear with me, this is a long quote, but it's worthy to be listened to. Paul had a secret, and this secret made him one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. But the secret of Paul's success wasn't a strategy or a formula. The secret to his success was more profound than this. Psychologist Jordan Peterson said, The trust that truth does set you free, but the problem is that it destroys everything that isn't worthy in you as it sets you free. What he meant is that people are often afraid of the truth because if you embrace the truth, if you really embrace it, a part or all of you has to die. This implies something super radical that I can talk about mission and being sent all day. You can say amen, but somewhere deep inside you, you know that it's scary stuff. Because if you really believe it, if you really embrace what Jesus is up to in our world and in order for these truths to manifest authentically in your life, a lot of you has to burn up and die. Our God is a consuming fire. That was Paul's secret. He embraced Jesus and his mission and he knew the moment he did that everything he was would have to die. His reputation, his social network, his career expectations, his identity, all of it. And I believe if we are truly going to reach our culture, in it is way bigger than modes and strategies, good as these things may be. They can't bypass this simple truth. To reach this beautiful generation wandering the ways of secular enchantment, jaded and indifferent to the message of the cross, then a lot of who we are has to die. Our own aspirations, our traditions, our comfort zones, our priorities our customs, our dreams, goals and desires. And this is painful. Paul said, I count them all rubbish that I may gain Christ. But if you think about it, the alternative is so much worse. A life of playing it safe, a Christianity built on theories, a faith incapable of leaving a dent in history, a religion that never reaches across to help the suffering, an ideology defined by predictive programs and run sheets, banal events and half-empty buildings. So what's the point? Here in Paul's letter in Timothy, he writes to his friend Timothy and says, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already pouring, being poured out like a drink offering to Timothy 4, 5 to 6, if you want to see that. In the Old Testament, this is the really cool thing. Whenever a lamb was sacrificed, a drink offering was poured out with it. It was kind of like a rule. Offer a lamb for sacrifice and you bring a drink offering with it. And so Paul is doing something wild here. The lamb Jesus has been sacrificed. Are you seeing it? That Paul sees himself as the drink offering that would accompany the lamb in death. He took his entire life and all of its temporal possibilities and said, no, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so he redefined his entire life with one purpose, 
to be a drink offering to the lamb that was sacrificed. His life was given over. He was no longer to consume, but to be consumed. Wow, what would happen if we took this to heart? How much of us, of me, of you, would really remain if we embrace this? Instead of seeing ourselves as architects of our own grandeur and prosperity, what if we saw ourselves as drink offerings being poured out as a daily living sacrifice on his altar? This is what will reach this generation that if you embrace the gospel and Christ's missional call, then parts of you out of there with the truth have to burn off and die. It is not easy and I'm not pretending anything else. But we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Isaiah 6, 3 to 8, I won't read it for the sake of time, but we know what happens to Isaiah there. He's in the middle of this vision of heaven and the gateposts and threshold of heaven is shaking with worship. And he realizes that he is an unholy man in an unholy land. And he cries out to God and God redeems him as he's redeemed us. And then God says immediately afterwards, who will go for me? And I wonder what our answer will be. Let me finish with this. Jesus took to heaven his scars. Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Has the truth cut us today? Are we going to bear the marks of Jesus today? Have our hearts been circumcised? I hope it leaves a permanent mark. Jesus said the truth will set you free and you will be free indeed. The church is bound. We are bound because we haven't accepted the truth that we are not told called to consume. We are called to be sent, to be consumed in God's fire. Our God is a sending God at a consuming fire and he wants to consume the temporal in our life and produce a refined gold, free of dross in our life that will bring glory to his name. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond today because we kind of think that mission is going somewhere to a third world country, but I want to tell you there's five areas of mission. And I believe that no one gets a get out of going call card. It is not the great suggestion. It is the great commission. And I want you to respond to that commission today. You can go. Yeah. And you can go anywhere. You can go to your neighbor. Come on. My neighbors are Sikh Indians. Right next to me is a mission field. You can go. Yes. You can go overseas. You can go here. You can go. You can pray. Intercession is a powerful weapon in the missional call. And how often do we get on our knees and pray for our own needs when we should be praying for the lost and hurting? The third thing we can do, which you do very well as a church, is to send. You can give, you can send, you can do that. And today out there, you'll have the opportunity to connect with many organisations, and I pray that you do that. But another thing many don't think about is you can welcome. You know, we have so many foreign students in our land so many people from different cultures and nations who can reach their nation far better than you. Have you welcomed one of them into your home? Have you found someone from a different culture and made friendship with them and welcomed them into your home? 95% of foreign students in the UK have not been invited into someone's home. I wonder what it's like here, I don't know. But ask yourself, have you welcomed someone into your home? And lastly, you can do what I do. You can mobilize. 
you can mobilize others for mission. So I want you to respond today. I want to give you that opportunity to stand and say, yes, I want to answer that call. I want to answer that call. I'm either going to go, I'm going to pray, I'm going to send, I'm going to welcome, or I'm going to mobilize, or I'm going to do all of them. But God put something on my heart today. So I just want to give that opportunity. Can we just close our eyes? And if that's you, if you want to respond to that opportunity, I just want you to stand and I'm going to pray over you right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for that great and mighty call that you send your people. And Lord, as people rise up in this auditorium, may they be willing to be interrupted. Lord, even as they're sitting right now, may you interrupt them. And Lord, I just rebuke pride right now in Jesus' name that would sit and say, I've got it all together. And I thank you, Father, that we will respond in humility to your call and we will be that son who even though before we weren't willing, that now, Lord, we would respond and say, I'm willing to obey. And Lord, right now, as those who are standing before me, I just pray for them. I pray in Jesus' name that you release your power and your Holy Spirit on them. Your Spirit was given that we might be witnesses, Lord, witnesses throughout this entire world. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower them to be that light, that you would bring your glory and fall upon them, that that glory may shine in this broken and dark world, that many lost would be drawn unto them. And I thank you, Father, that this is not just another message. This is an interrupting moment by the Spirit of God on their lives and that they will never, ever be the same again. We bless them, we release them, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power to fill them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.